the Psalms. So many times that David, in his writings of Psalms, will start into this poet poetic um, rhythm, and then he comes to a place where it just says, "Selah, Selah," and that's just a holy pause. That is a place where you stop and pause. It's not a place of prayer. It's not a place of uh, declaration. It's a moment of silence. It's a moment of that place where everything comes together that you've been um, dealing with. So this morning, I want to. I want. I just want to take a moment to say la. Say la. Have you all done that lately? <laughs> I mean, we just come through the season of Thanksgiving or the holiday of Thanksgiving for here, us here in America. And even those holidays like that are so busy that we don't stop. I mean, we, we may sit around the table and say what we're thankful for, things like that. But that's still busy. And, you know, I'm, I am so blessed and honored. Lynette and I are so blessed and honored to be around people like you. What, what God has done in this church is brought people together that are creatives, that are entrepreneurs, that are pioneers, they're starters. And I believe that every one of you who come here, who find your place here, who find your home here, there is something on the inside of you that God wants to do, but we all need that Selah. I read a book last year. Well, I I say I read a book. I listened to a book Um, (laughs) last year, and it was so good. And it was called. It was. It was by a man named Jefferson Bethkeep. You you may know him. He's kind of a YouTube star, Christian YouTube star. One of his videos that he did went viral, and just um, was off the chain, uh, big, big. And so, um, the name of this book was called "To Hell with the Hustle." And what he talks about through that whole book is learning as Christians, learning how to stop. You know, when you're, when you're a pioneer, when you're an entrepreneur, when you're um, the creative type of person like that, you want to hustle all the time. Doing the hustle. Well, it's kind of disco. But there's a time, believer, wherever you're at, believer, There's a time to just stop 
and be silent. It's hard. It's tough. It kind of got weird there for a minute. I mean, we probably only did, what, 15 seconds or 20? And it got weird really quick. Because we're not used, because the, the world is so full of noise that we don't stop. And what David is saying, he's saying, when you lock eyes with God, when you lock eyes with Jesus, when you come into that place where Holy Spirit is so enveloping you that you can't just keep moving, you got to stop. Do that. One, two, three. And that's where spirit moves. That's where spirit moves. Amen. Father, I thank you so much for your Selah moments. I thank you for those moments where, God, we can, we can honestly show you worship by not saying a thing, but just letting our heart touch yours, letting our eyes locked together with yours. And so, Father, I I pray that every one of us would find those places during this week that we can say la. Say la. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Say thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 Man, that's good stuff, isn't it? You know, you know what's really cool is we got a ukulele on stage today. I mean, I mean, we we bring our resident Hawaiians in, and uh, and that's what happens. Mona, did a good job today. We, I love you stepping out in that. So, so with that, would you do me a favor while you're getting ready to sit down? Would you turn and look at a neighbor and just say, "Thank God I'm here." Amen, amen. How are y'all doing today? Man, it's been a long time since I've been up here. It's been a few weeks. And, um, you know, when I take gaps like that in, in um, ministering, I get nervous coming back, you know. I get nervous. So um, if, um, I can say that. Anyways, um, I, I get nervous. Um, so... It, uh, it is an honor to get to stand before you today. My name is Darren Gleghorn. I'm the lead pastor here at Cowboy Church. And um, man, I, I find it such an honor to, to get to be with you guys. And, and I'm glad you came. If this is your very first time to come, thank you so much for coming in. Um, we consider ourselves a family here. And so when you walk through our doors... You may be coming into the house for the first time, but you're only a visitor one time, and after that, you're family. Because what we want to do is just love you, hug you, and, and know that um, our, our community is open to anyone. Amen. And so um, we appreciate you coming today. Well, welcome to our Facebook Live audience. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Whatever platform you're joining us on, Whatever day it is, whether you're live or whether you're uh, listening to this down the road, down uh, through the, throughout the week, we appreciate you um, coming and being a part of what we have here at Northern Colorado Cowboy Church, or what we like to refer to as N3C. So, um, so with that, um, man, I just keep saying my ums this morning. 
And I um, <laughs> will stop that. Uh, today, you know, when we come into this season that we're in right now, um, it's it's a it's a time of of learning. If you if you know what season we're in, it's it's like, uh, uh, you know, typical. It's the the norm. And uh, but if you don't know what season we're in, and and you've not been here for very long. Uh, we like to look at the Jewish roots of things. We like to look at the Hebrew roots of things and begin to talk about those things because I believe with all my heart that God's people are not just Israel, but it's the church as well. I believe that we're all one family together. So to know, you know, when you're adopted into a family, um, I wasn't adopted, but this is what I've learned. Um, When you're adopted into a family, you begin to see their culture. You begin to see their ways of doing things. And I believe that we as the church are adopted into Israel, adopted into the, to, to the Jewish ways of doing things. So there's a culture there that it's good to learn and to know what that culture is all about. Amen? Amen. Because we, we can say, what would Jesus do? Well, he was Jewish. And so he would do the Jewish things. Amen? So if we walk with him in those things, then we can look at the Jewish ways of doing things and we can see that adopted into this culture, it really means something, not just to the Jews of the ancient times, but it means something to the Christians and the believers now. And we can grasp a hold of those things and, and find what God is saying through those things. So if you have your Bibles today, I I want you to go over to uh, Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4. Malachi is the very last book of the Old Testament. So if you find Matthew, back up one. That's Malachi. That's what my Italian um, executive pastor likes to call it, is Malachi. Amen. All right, well, we'll we'll move on. Sorry, Mark. (laughs) So uh, Malachi chapter 4, Malachi chapter 4, go there if you would. And, you know, Malachi, this, this prophet, he's called one of the minor prophets of the Old Testament. And Malachi's name is not mentioned anywhere in the Old Testament. Yet the four chapters of prophecy that he put out is recorded there. And what is believed to be is that Malachi was one of the contemporaries of Nehemiah. So Nehemiah, the the Jews had been uh, taken captive by Babylon, and um, uh, Nehemiah had favor with the, um, the ruler of Babylon, and the ruler of Babylon gave him permission to go rebuild the walls of Israel. So you can read about that in Nehemiah. Fantastic leadership book because Nehemiah was doing what God told him to do. But one of, the contem- one of his contemporaries during that same time of rebuilding the, te- the, uh, the, the, the city walls and beginning to rebuild the temple um, of God, Malachi was in this time frame when you read um, about the... Israelites coming back to uh, Israel 
after being in bondage, after being slaves of, of Babylon. So he's one of the last prophets in the Old Testament to um, project the hope of a coming Messiah. Um, every book of the Old Testament alludes to Jesus. Every one of them speaks about Jesus. Even though it may not say his name, Jesus, every book of the Old Testament alludes to that Jesus is the coming Messiah. And the book of Malachi was, was n- not any different. He was, he was um, projecting the hope that there would be the Messiah that would come real soon. So what I want to read here in, in Malachi chapter 4 is his closing words. The last three verses of that, starting in, in, in um, verse 4, but his closing words are as if he knew it's, it, that these were the last words. And listen, listen to what he says. He says, uh, I'm reading from the message translation, Malachi chapter 4, verse 4. It says, remember and keep the revelation I gave through my servant Moses and the revelation I commanded at Horeb or Mount Sinai for all of Israel, all the rules and procedures for right living. But also look ahead. I'm sending Elijah the prophet to clear the way for the big day of God, the decisive judgment day. He will convince parents to look after their children. Hello. (laughs) And children to look up to their parents. If they refuse, I'll come and put the land under a curse. And then God went dark. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Father, I pray that you would give me the ability to speak your words, the ability to bring revelation. And and Father, I pray for each and every person that is listening uh, in this room or anywhere else, that God, they would have the ability to hear the revelation. They would be able to hear the words that you want to speak today. We love you. We praise you. And we thank you for the great son of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior in Jesus name. Amen. 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 There is, for, for Christianity, there is um, a, a thought of where Malachi ends and where Matthew begins. There is a gap. There's an intertestamental gap that is there. And sometimes we don't understand those things. You know, it could be just the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. Yes, we see it that way. But for for Christianity, there is a 420-year gap from Malachi to Matthew between the Old and what we call the Old Testament and the New Testament Um, where our Bible doesn't record anything happening between that time. It's a 420-year gap that there is no, um, in in our Christian Protestant Bible, there's nothing recorded. And so, so what does that mean? I know for me, up until just recently, probably even just looking into this message, for me, I always looked at that, uh, that gap, that 420-year gap, I always looked at it as God was 
possibly angry. I mean, he got angry a lot in the Old Testament from those people, you know, from his people not doing what, what he's wanting them to do. So my thoughts were, my thoughts were always God had enough. He had enough. He's, he's probably angry. He's giving the old silent treatment. Have you ever known anybody like that? Give, you know, just giving the old silent treatment. Uh, maybe there's a possible abandonment of his people. Or he's put his people in time out. You get over there on that rug and you sit there for 420 years and think about what you've done. And I don't know about you, but I've thought that. I've thought that God just ticked off. And, and so, you know, calling in Super Nanny, you know, to come in and, and help us with our time out. And I believe that at this point, even though, even though God's people were probably um, just coming out of captivity, um, at this point, I, I really feel like that, that his people during that time were feeling that same way. Because of the fact that up to that point, there has been 4,000 years of kings and priests and prophets that are the voice of God for the people. If you, if you were a person during that time, in the, in the Old Testament ancient times, and you heard the voice of God, you would probably be considered a prophet. The average people didn't really hear the voice of God. The way that they heard the voice of God is that God would go and, and begin to communicate with the kings, with the priests, and with the prophets. And, and so that was 4,000 years of their normal. Did you know that when you are in a place of normal, you don't recognize it until you're in a place of not normal? I mean, when you, I mean, you're just kicking about your day. You're just going about your day. You're going about your life every day. This was the norm for God's people that the kings, the priests, and the prophets would begin to extend his word, his voice to them. And, and so here in this season where Malachi is talking, the kings have lost their thrones. There's not a king in Israel at this time. The priests have lost their influence with the people. The priest was just somebody who was there. And the prophets had lost inspiration. They lost the inspiration of the Spirit of God that would tell them things and, and help them through things. And so when the, when the kings lost their thrones, when the, when the priests lost their influence, when the prophets lost their inspiration, it became not normal. Anybody experienced that lady, lately? Not normal. We've been living in a year, almost two years of not normal, of what we knew until it was not normal anymore. And so um, this is where they're at. And Malachi begins to speak into those things. Um, because the next phase of what God wanted to do is to bring the Messiah, his son, Jesus, and release him into the earth. 
But there's something that society, what, what Israel, Israeli or Jewish society needed, and that was to be in this place of not normal so that they can begin to help release what God wanted to release into their new lives, Amen. their New Testament lives. And so for 400 years, they had to rely on a bridge from the Old Testament to the New Testament. For 420 years, they had to rely on a bridge called faith. The bridge called faith. What is that? That is that place, that middle ground where... um, um, what God said bridges to what he is saying. Did you get that? That bridge of faith is, is relying upon what God has said to get to what he is saying. That's why most faith times that we go through are silent. God's not mad. He's not abandoning his kids. He's not abandoning you. He's not um, putting you in time out. God is just wanting you to start walking this bridge called faith from what he's already said to what he is saying. And it's, it's, it's those times where faith... Faith is silent. Have you ever been in the midst of faith silence? Faith silence is that place where, you know, you go to church and it's good, but it's not compelling. Some of you are sitting in here today in that spot. Church is good, but it's not compelling. That your Bible is open, but it's speechless. Prayer is spoken, but it's not responsive. Man, that's dark. That's dark. Sometimes it feels like when we're walking in faith for something, when something comes at us that is not normal and God's not talking, we feel abandoned. We feel like we're in timeout. We feel like we're in that place. And, and that's, that, that's that faith silence time. And I believe we've all felt that at some point of our life. But what did Malachi do? I, you know, like I said, I don't know if, if Malachi understood that he was going to be the final book of the Old Testament and, and go, yeah, I want to write something good. <laughs> no, he was just hearing the Word of God. And, and what Malachi says during that time, what he says during that time is he says, Remember! Remember the law of Moses. Remember the law that I gave him at Mount Sinai. Remember what I gave you, the revelation for you to live godly, right, living lives. He says, remember that. He's preparing the people for the next 400 years. He's he's preparing them to say, I've got something to hold on to. If God doesn't speak, 
I've got what he has said. Then Malachi says, look ahead. He says, remember, and then look ahead. He's saying, remember what God has said, but look ahead to what he is going to say. There is a Messiah coming. There is a Messiah that's coming to bring in a whole new normal. And so I I don't know if Malachi saw the next 400 years would be dark. I don't know that he saw that that was it. He was just doing what God told him to do. But the thing about it is, is faith. Faith was still alive. Faith was still active. We, we think that that, you know, sometimes we're taught that that 400 plus years in between the two, that there was nothing being said. There may have not been anything spoken from heaven to the prophets, but what God is saying is he's saying, you must stand on what I have said to get you to where I'm saying. And Malachi said that. He said, look ahead. There's a day marked of revelation and restoration that's going to happen. It's not always going to be this way. It's not always going to be this way. And when God speaks again, he's going to speak with a earth-shaking voice. Faith was still alive and active. And because faith is still alive and active, history will be written. Even though it's not canonized, chosen scripture during this time, there's no canonized, spoken, you know, Holy Spirit-inspired books, there's still history that takes place there, godly history. People that had faith, people that relied upon faith, even though the kings were not there, the priests were inactive, and the prophets were not hearing history would still be uh, written. So during this 400 years, I want to go into this history of what's going on here. So are you all good with that? Um, Because it's not written in the Bible, some people have a problem with that and say, why are you preaching this if it's not written in the Bible? Well, it's written in history, and we're going to point to the Bible. Okay? So during this 400 years... Israel saw a lot of governmental and, and cultural changes that, um, that, that come into their presence. The, the first empire to take over Israel during that time was the Persian Empire. And, and they, for about 60 years, they were the ruling um, empire of Israel. Then the Greek culture came in, the Greek empire came in. Ever heard of Alexander the Great? Alexander the Great come in and conquered during that time, conquered the Persians and got Israel into his possession. See, Israel was such and is still such a player in the world, even though it's a tiny country, it's a player in the world because it is a land bridge between Africa, Asia, and Europe. And so... During this time, when, when they didn't have mechanical um, uh, army stuff, <laughs> <I'll say. laughs> 
mechanical stuff. They, they, it was a very uh, desired place to be. So the Greek Empire with, with Alexander the Great come in, took over, and then um, they were only in power for about 15 years. Alexander the Great died. It began to split up, and the Egyptian Empire came in and began to rule over Israel. And it was during this time, these three different cultures and governments that came in to rule over Israel, they were pretty nice to the Jewish people. They let them have their religion. They let them have their way of doing things. They, they let them um, be political the way that they wanted to be political. Then came the Syrian Empire. And the Syrian Empire had a man that was the ruler of that area where Israel is. His name was Antiochus. Antiochus was a ruler that really felt like that he was the proponent to bring a Hellenistic uh, party into Israel. The word Helen is the word Greece. And so he was bringing a Greek culture, trying to combine a Greek culture into the Israeli people. So what he did, what Antiochus did, is he came in and removed the high priest, the power of the high priest over Israel. And, and he said, all right, we're setting you aside, and I'm stepping into this place because I am a God. And he says, you Jewish people are going to have to deal with that. You have no more high priest. I'm your guy. Well, the Jewish people push back. And when the Jewish people push back against that way of thought, Antiochus got mad. And he said, I will destroy every characteristic of the religion of the Jews along with any Jew that stays with that and doesn't follow after me and call me a God. I'm going to kill him. So he begins to step in there and, and begin this, this movement of, of destroying every aspect of the Jewish religion and Jewish faith. He forced the Jews to worship Greek gods and, and to renounce their God. And then he, um, one of the big things that he did was he brought in a, a force forcing people to eat animals that God said not to eat. They were, you know, he's trying to force them to eating animals that were sacrificed to their gods. And when they would not do that, he began to kill them. So he began to wipe these people out and the Jewish people out, and except for the ones who would uh, convert into Hellenistic uh, uh, views. And, and so they, they um, had to eat unkosher meat. They had to do all this stuff, help set up statues of Greek gods in the temple. Now, you go to setting up you know, Greek statues in the temple of God, that's trouble. But that's what Antiochus did. He came in and he, he did all that. But the one thing that put everything over the edge for the Jewish people was that Antiochus and the, his uh, group of people sacrificed a pig on the altar of God. That's no bueno. That is not good. I mean, I, I know that we have a room full of people that love your bacon, but don't cook it on the altar of God. I mean, the altar of God is not Traeger. 
So cook your bacon there. Be good smoked bacon. Ultimately, that's what he did was sacrificed a pig on the altar of God in the temple. So this is going on in Jerusalem. This is all going on in Jerusalem, and it's starting to spread out into the community. 20 miles west of, of uh, kind of northwest of Jerusalem, there was a town called um, Modi'in, M-O-D-I apostrophe I-N, Modi'in. And it was a farming community. It, w- it would be something like where we live. It's, you know, all these farms and all these fields all around, and it's these um, farmers. And so they're, they're going about doing their thing. Well, the, the priest, the elderly priest that was in that town that, that uh, um, you know, paralleled what God was saying and things like that, his name was Mattathias. And so people come to Mattathias and said, look, what, what are you going to do whenever Antiochus and his armies, that Syrian army comes in here and says that we have to sacrifice pigs and eat pigs and eat unkosher food and, and be forced into worshiping Greek gods and things. Mattathias, what are you going to do? And Mattathias began to think, what am I going to do? I mean, I'm old and I'm fixing to die and pass this thing on to my kids or whatever. He said, you know, what, what are we going to do? And, and so the Syrian army shows up one day and, and, you know, Mattathias had been conversing with his five sons of well, what are we going to do? And, and so the, that day came that the Syrian army showed up and Mattathias was faced with a choice to renounce God. The guy says, look, you're the, you're the priest here. You got a lot of influence. It, it reminds me of what we're living in today. Um, you know, the, the, uh, public officials have asked pastors of churches to push their agenda because we lead so many people. And so that's what was being taken, that's what was taking place here is that the Syrian army is saying, look, we, you know, Mattathias, you as the elderly priest, people respect you. Can you help us by making this easier on everybody? And Mattathias said, I don't think so. And he took out a sword and he killed one of Antiochus's main generals of this movement. And that's where the war started. <laughs> that's where it started. Mattathias kills this guy and the war begins. The Syrian army was massive. Their presence was massive in Israel. Uh, because because they're all serving this guy named Antiochus. So Mattathias and his sons and other community men escaped into the hills above Modain. And so they're up there in the hills and they're saying, we've opened up a can of worms and now we got to do something. <laughs> because the Syrian army is headed this way. You know, this band of farmers became soldiers. In this time, it reminds me of what is spoken of in Joel chapter 3, verse 10. It says that they will beat their plows into swords. So they begin to take on the look of an army. It's a ragtag bunch of farmers. <laughs> they say, you know, the Syrian army says, we want your weapons. He says, come and take them. 
this army, this, this army of uh, farmers were outnumbered three to one against the Syrian army. The Syrian army came and, and because they were, um, because um, the, the um, Mattathias' farmers were um, just farmers, they began to seek God for wisdom. Now, this is a time where God is silent, right? He's not saying anything to the kings, the priests, or the prophets, but they, they begin to hang on to remember what God said. Do you remember what God said? Do you remember that God is our God and we are not changing over to the ways of the Greek life? We, we are, we're going to have to trust in God. We're going to have to die trusting in God than anything else. And so little by little, as time went on, they begin to defeat every Syrian skirmish that would come their way. The men, these farmers became experts at guerrilla warfare. They became experts of, of try, you, you know, cutting off passes and, and killing generals. And, and I mean, they're beating the snot out of these Syrian armies. And so as they do that, during this time, Mattathias dies, not because he was killed, but he was old. And he dies. And when he dies, he leaves charge of the armies in his son's hands. His son's name was Judah. And, and, and Judah took on this because he had no problem killing. He, he liked to kill Syrians. We're in the Syrian killing business today, boys. Business is booming. So, so Judah, was, he was wise, he was tough, he was not afraid to, to step in there. And so the, this army of farmers began to call him Maccabee. They changed his name from Judah, they called him Maccabee. Maccabee means hammer. He was called McHammer. He is the original MC Hammer. And it is a little known fact that when he would go up against that Syrian army and he would look across the, the, the field at this Syrian army, he would say, stop, hammer time. <laughs> the original McHammer. Some of you young people, you're going, what? Old man, don't do that. You're never going to forget that, are you? That's my point. <laughs> the army became known as the Maccabees, the MC Hammers. <clears throat> and so for, for three years, the Maccabees fought impossible odds and won the battles against Syria to the point to where the generals of Syria had been killed. And so Antiochus says, look, we're done with this. This too much. Let's just pull out. And they left everything in the hands of the Maccabees. The Maccabees stepped in, and it took them three years to get 20, about 20 miles from Modain to Jerusalem. And they came back to Jerusalem and they began to 
restore things. But the, the one big thing that they were to restore was the temple of God. See, three years of trusting God in battle, three years of capitalizing on the wisdom of God, of what God had said, and three years of experiencing this bridge of faith and what he had said had begun to win out with people who shouldn't have won out. But it's because even though God was not talking during this time, his presence came upon his people. He didn't leave them broken and abandoned. He didn't leave them without a way because the way that they had was to lean into what God had said. I don't know where you're at today, but you may be fighting battles on the inside of you. And you may feel like God is silent. You may feel like, why hasn't he spoken to me? Why, hasn't, why isn't God present in this dark time that I'm in? It's because he wants you to lean into what he has said and make it yours. Let it become a part of you. Like the Maccabees, let his wisdom become a part of them. Even though God wasn't speaking, they had leverage. They had something to hold on to. They had a bridge called faith. So when the Maccabees came into Jerusalem, they went directly to the temple. They went to see what was going on with the temple. And in that place, they begin to weep over this house of God that was in disarray, that was in um, dirty and turned over, and it was dark, and there was rubble everywhere. There was, the gold had been stripped from everything and stolen. The temple was cluttered and dirty and dark. So they knew that in order to restore that temple, they needed light to help them see what needed to be done. But the only light that was allowed in the temple was the light of God, his lampstand in the temple. So they began to search around there. They all took their iPhones out and began to look into the dark places and find God's lampstand. And they found his lampstand and they, they set it up and they said, you know, this is, you can't just pour any kind of oil into this. You need the holy oil of God. You need that, that oil that has been set apart, been made just for the lampstand of God. And so what, what they begin to hear in this time, needing the light of God, is they begin to lead into, uh, lean into the word that was spoken to Moses in Leviticus chapter 24. And this is what Moses spoke as the law of God. It says in the New Living Translation, it says, uh, Leviticus 24, verse 3, it says, This is the lampstand that stands in the tabernacle in front of the inner curtain and shields the Ark of the Covenant. Aaron must keep the lamps burning in the Lord's presence all night. This is a permanent law for you, and it must be observed from generation to generation. Aaron and the priests must tend to the lamps on the pure gold lampstand continually in the Lord's presence. 
They said, the first thing that we need to do is we need to set up the lamp and we need to get it burning. So as they looked for oil, all they found was one flask or one jar of the holy oil and they poured it into the lampstand. Do you, do you, do you all feel my struggle? I'm, I'm trying to say oil in the way that you would hear it, oil. In Oklahoma, it's oil, all right? But they needed the holy oil. But they only found enough for one day. What are they going to do? So they begin to, to talk about it. They begin to pray about it. Because enough oil for one day is all they had. It would take eight more days to get oil processed to go into the lamp. So you can see their struggle. Their struggle is do we pour the oil in and wait eight days or pour the oil in and light it and do one day's work or do we wait eight days for new oil to be processed? And so in this time, they said, we're, gonna, we're just going to pour this oil in here. We're going to light it and we're going to get as much done as we can. So they, they poured it in and the light began to help them rush around and, and start cleaning and getting things back to normal. And, and they begin to clean and rebuild and restore. And one day goes by into two. The second day, the lamp is still burning. They're like, well, maybe we misjudged the amount that we had around. And, you know, maybe we had two days worth. They worked for two days. Then three. Then four. The lamp is still burning on one day's worth of oil. Then five, then six, then seven. And when they hit about day six and seven, they begin to see what God was doing and worship began to be restored. Not only the temple was being restored, but worship in the temple was being restored during this time because they're seeing God do something. God's been silent, but they've seen him begin to do something. And after eight days... They had new oil and they poured it into the lamp. And from that day forward, it never ran out. So what is the takeaway from this story? See, this story is not in your Bible. If, if you came up in the Catholic church, you've probably heard the story. You know that the books of the Apocrypha between uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament, they're in the Catholic Bible. And you may have read some of that. But we as Christians sometimes don't see that. We don't study into that. And, and so my point is that God was still working, even when we didn't know that. Are you with me? The, the, the takeaway from what I'm talking about today is that we all go through dark seasons. We all go through dark seasons. Those places where it seems that God is not talking. You ever been there? I mean, it's, it happens quite often. And I know that there are people in here that you feel like that you've been in a dark season for years. And, and so we all go through the seasons when, when it seems like God went dark. 
But what we have to do as people of God, as Christians of God, we need to start embracing the dark seasons, not owning them and not making them ours, but embracing them to the point to know that God is speaking into that situation. He's already spoken into that situation. We go and get what he has spoken and bring it into that situation because that's the one day of oil that we need. Just one day of oil to run the light will chase the darkness out of of our life. It's those dark seasons that are perfecting the proving grounds of faith. Don't don't possess the dark times, but know it's the valley of the shadow of death. And God said, go through the valley of the shadow of death. Don't stop and camp out. Don't make it your own. Don't make it your story. Don't be a victim to that, but be victorious over that. Because it's the proving, those are the times of the proving ground of faith. I remember when I was a kid, you know, um, our science teacher asked us to do an experiment. He gave us a little jelly jar, just a little, little jar, and we were, and, and he gave us a pinto bean, and he gave us, he said, go home, put a wet napkin in the bottom of this jar, put the bean on there, tighten the lid, and put it in the closet where it's dark. And when I did that, I came back a week or two later turned on the light and looked at that pinto bean, and it had sprouted in the dark. It was in the dark where things begin to happen. It's in the dark when you plant a seed. I don't know how many of y'all have been in a hole and, and covered up where it's completely dark and the, and the uncomfortableness of the dark, but that's where the bean sprouted. That's where faith sprouts. That's the place. The pit is the place. If you're in a pit today, you're in the perfect place that you can be. Oh, I want out of this thing. I, well, I don't blame you. I'd want out too. But if you want out, get what God has said and allow your faith to sprout life into the light. In, in the, areas, the areas of faith that I grew up in, the, that I cut my teeth on as a, as a preacher um, 30 years ago, the, the preachers alluded to, and I, I probably over the years have done this as well, is alluded to that um, if you have faith, you won't go through dark times. If you have faith, you won't go through dark times. But I see life a little different now. I have taken on... Um, a pair of glasses or maybe taken off a pair of glasses to say that it's during those dark times. I don't like dark times. I don't like being in the dark, but it's during those times that proves God's word in our lives. It's the perfecting. It's the proving grounds of faith. And I say the dark times are why we have faith. See, our faith strives or thrives in the darkness. 
Faith is most alive and most active, and it's a place where our history will be written. Dark times is where history happens. Dark moments like what the Maccabees and all these people of these Jews of Israel were going through during those times of, of between the Old Testament and the New Testament, that dark time where God seems to be dark, that is the place where history is written. Your lives, every single one of you, your lives are history. You are history makers. One person gets that? Come on, you're, you're history makers. And it's because of the dark times, and it's because of faith being perfected in those dark times, that's where the light begins to happen. See, Jesus said in John chapter 9, verse 5, he says, but while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. How many of you know that when you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are the light of the world? He is the light of the world and he brings that light to you. He says uh, in John chapter 8 verse 12, he said, I am the, the world's light and no, one follows, uh, and no one who follows me stumbles around in the darkness. I provide plenty of light to live in. He said, he said, he didn't say you wouldn't have dark. He just said you won't stumble in the dark. Because I am your light. I am your light. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 and also in 2 Corinthians 6, he said that we, me, you, and everybody else, we are the temple of God. And if Jesus is the light and we are the temple of God, there is a light that he wants to place on the inside of us. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, the, the bottom line of those, two, or those three verses is that we, Jesus said, you are the light of the world because he lives in you. You are the light of the world. You are the light in your current darkness. I mean, whether you're going through something personal or whether you're going through something cultural, whether you need the vaccine or whether you don't need the vaccine, whether you like this president or you don't like this president, whether you like this political system or whether you don't, it does not matter because you, Jesus said, are the light of the world. You are the one that illuminates the darkness in this current reality. You. Say me. me. I'm the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. Yeah. Now believe it. Because Jesus said it was, it was good. He said, look, I'm not, I'm not making you the light of the world so that you can put a bucket over your head and not be <laughs> light. He said, I'm going to set you as a city on a hill and you're going to be light in the darkness. If the world needs anything right now, it needs us. If the world needs anything now in this dark time that we're living in, it needs us as light. And Jesus said, you are. See, the light that the Maccabees restored in the temple was done through the menorah 
the, the lampstand that was in the temple. When they relit that, it brought about a chasing away of the dark. And they did this in the month of Kislev. It's, it's a Jewish month called Kislev the 25th. I just want to tell you all that on the Jewish calendar today, November 28th, 2021, today is the 24th of Kislev, paralleled to the Jewish calendar. Tonight at sundown starts the 25th of Kislev, which is the same day that they lit the menorah in the temple of God. And it's called Hanukkah. It's called the Festival of Light. It's called the Feast of Dedication. And in John chapter 10, it says that Jesus came into Jerusalem in the wintertime at the Feast of Dedication. He came in at Hanukkah. He came in and he, he went into the temple at Hanukkah. I want to tell you, Jesus has come into your temple today. And he has lit the light. If you call yourself a Christian, he has lit the light, the light of God. We're in that season of Hanukkah. We're in that season of uh, dedication. And he brings his light into what's not normal. (laughs) You're not normal. (laughs) If you're a Christian, you're not normal. You're more than enough. You're more than a conqueror. So this time, what represents this time called Hanukkah is there is a lampstand like this one behind me. There's a lampstand and it's, it's, you know, the menorah in the temple had seven branches. This one has nine. This one is one branch for each day that God performed the miracle of light through one day's oil. And these light up. So there's eight on each side. And there's one in the middle called the shamash, which is called the helper candle, which is the light of the world that gives light to every branch that's there. The middle one represents the Messiah to come. For the Old Testament people, it represents the Messiah who is and begins to light our world. So that's why that we have this. That's why that we're showing this lamp up here. So for the next eight days from tonight at sundown, we as a family, we celebrate Hanukkah. My kids loved it when they were kids because we gave them a present every night. It wasn't, it wasn't one under a Christmas tree. It was eight every night. And they wonder, you know, what are you going to get me? They thought they was better than anybody else. You got one day, they go to school, you got one day, I got eight. No, they didn't do that. So that's why we're showing this lamp up here and it's going to be up here for the next couple of weeks because we're living in this season where God wants to bring light into your world. Amen? Amen. Do you receive that today? Let me, let me just, amen. Amen.
Jesus is the light of the world. And if you've never received Jesus as the light of the world into your life, you've never looked into his eyes, you never locked eyes with him and said, Jesus, you know, I believe you're the son of God. I believe in all that kind of stuff, but you are the light of the world. And I need that light in my life. You've never asked him to be the light of your life. Today is the day that you can do that. Because that light on the inside of you makes you a city on a hill. It's not about just telling people about Jesus as the light of the world. It's about you walking around with his light in this world. You go into a dark place and you bring light into that. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, he wants to be the light. That's why he went to the cross. That's why the cross is beautiful. The old rugged cross is beautiful because Jesus went to that cross in order to give us the ability to be the light of the world. Maybe you've been given one day's worth of oil in this world. Maybe the doctor has said, put an put a expiration date on you. You're the light of the world. Amen. The oil will light that place where the doctor brought darkness and you can bring light into your life and God will do a miracle. Amen. Amen. If, you, if you need light of God, today I, when I pray, I just want you to receive that. When I pray, I want you to open your hands and I want you just to receive the oil that is going to light the darkness that you're going through and bring light into this world that is dark. So would you, would you open your hands just real quick? I want to pray over you. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for this season that we can look and see, God, that you have given us the oil to bring light into our life. That oil is the Holy Spirit. And we get that oil when we say, Jesus, come into our life. Jesus, I need you. I want to follow after you. I don't know what all that looks like, but I want to follow after you. And in that, I give my life to you. I dedicate my life to you during this season of dedication. And I ask that you would light me up and help me to reflect the fullness of who you are in this dark place. In Jesus' name, amen.